we're continuing our series on the Lord's Prayer. Here's the context so far. Um, if you're just showing up for the first time, Jesus was uh, praying. He got to the end of his prayer, and the disciples said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And then his response was to give them the Lord's Prayer. It's not a prayer we pray by memory, but it's a model for how we to pray. He began by addressing how, or, or, or explaining to us how we're supposed to address God. He said, first you pray, our Father in heaven. That means first and foremost, you start by recognizing that he's your dad. He's your father. And because he's your dad, you've got unlimited access to him, and he loves you unlimitedly. That's a word, all right? So you pray to your father in heaven, or rather at the end of it, you realize you're not only praying to your father, but you're praying to your father who is also in heaven. So at the same time he's your dad, same time he is your father, he is also the transcendent Lord of the universe. And so when you pray, you're praying in a way that recognizes both aspects of his character. He's your father who is in heaven. And then the last week we looked at the first thing Jesus taught us to pray. Uh, Bill Cole just talked about it. The first thing you ask for before you ask for anything else is you ask for the name of God to be hallowed in your life. That means that you're asking God to be exalted. You're asking God to be given the highest place in your life, to give him the first priority in your life for his name to be exalted and glorified. I talked about how Jesus prayed that prayer because it aligned his heart with the primary purpose of his life. And the primary purpose of his life was glorifying God. You remember that it was the last night, not the last night, but the last week before the cross, he's talking to the disciples, and he looks at him and he says, boys, it was for this reason that I came to this hour. It's for this reason that I'm walking to the cross. And he said, Father, glorify your name. And so Jesus prayed that prayer to align his heart with the primary purpose of his life, which is to glorify God. And we pray that prayer to align our hearts with the primary purpose of our life, which is to glorify and exalt the name of God. Now, real quick question. What does that look like for us to exalt and glorify God in our lives? Here's what I mean. I think it simply means this, that we give his name and we give his purpose the highest priority in our life. That's what it means. All right, so if I were to ask you the question, um, does your business glorify God? Right, here's how you know. Is the name and the purpose of Jesus Christ the first and highest priority in your business? It's pretty simple. If I were to ask you, do your finances, do your personal finances glorify God? Do you glorify God with your personal finances? There's an easy way to know. Look at your finances and see if the name and the purpose of Christ is the highest priority in your personal finances. All right, the way that you know, regardless of the subject, the way that you know whether you're glorifying God in any area of your life is are you giving him the highest place of priority? That's how you know. That's what it means to glorify and exalt. And so when Jesus taught us to pray, he said, look, the first thing you pray for, the first thing you ask for after you address God is that through your life, that the name of God and his purpose would be exalted and be given the highest place of priority. Right? Said that Matthew 6, 9. Let's look at it. He says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. All right. The rest of the sermon, here's what I'm going to do. We're going to look at what he prays next. We're going to look at the next line 
of the Lord's Prayer. After he tells us to pray that the name of God would be hallowed and exalted and given the highest priority in his life, um, then he's, he gives another line, and it's very important. It's extremely important, all right? Now, hang with me. A lot of theology before we get to the application today, um, but here's what we're praying. I want you guys to turn to Matthew 6, 9, and we're going to look at Matthew 6, 9 and 6, 10. We'll camp out on 6, 10 today, all right? After he prays, after he tells us to pray that we're supposed to exalt the name of God in our lives, he's going to tell us the next thing to pray, and this is important because he's going to show us, everybody catch this, the next line of the prayer shows us what it looks like to glorify God. It's going to show us how we actually go out these doors and glorify God with our life, because I don't know if you've noticed something. It's one thing to pray and ask God and say, God, I, I, want, to, I want to glorify your God, uh, glorify your name today. It's one thing to ask that of God. And it's something altogether different to actually go out of your time of prayer and glorify the name of God in your life. That's a lot easier prayed for than it is done. And so the next line of the prayer shows us sort of what it practically looks like to get up from your prayer time and go glorify the name of God. So let's read it, Matthew 6, 9. Jesus said, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And we've talked about that for a couple weeks. Look at the next thing he says. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, there's two phrases there. Your kingdom come and your will be done. Those are connected. That's what it looks like for you to be a person that actually glorifies God in your life. You're a person that asks for the kingdom of God to come, and you're a person that asks for his will to be done over your will. Now, we're going to look next week. It thy will be done. And so today we're going to camp out on that phrase, your kingdom come. Okay? Now to understand what Jesus is telling us to pray when he tells us to pray your kingdom come, we need to get our minds around what he means by the kingdom. What does Jesus mean by the kingdom? When he talks about the kingdom, when he talks about the kingdom of God, what is he talking about? Well, here's the thing. What's interesting about the subject of the kingdom of God is that Christians, modern Christians, myself included, we almost never talk about it. Have y'all noticed that? The kingdom of God. We almost never talk about the kingdom of God. We, a lot of us right now, if we took a poll, a lot of us wouldn't really fully understand what the kingdom of God even means. I would be one of them. It's, a, it's an interesting subject that we don't talk very often, but here's the, why it's interesting is because the kingdom of God was the subject that Jesus talked about more than any other subject in the entire Bible. Did you know that? It's the number one subject he talked about. He talked about more than sin. He talked about it more than heaven and hell. He talked about it more than love. The kingdom of God, he talked about it over and over and over again. Matter of fact, 162 times in the New Testament, Jesus either teaches or makes reference to or talks about the kingdom of God. As a matter of fact, he spoke about the kingdom of God in the very first sentence of the very first sermon he ever preached. Don't turn there, just listen, Mark 1.14. Very first sentence, the very first sermon Jesus ever preached. He said, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Verse 15, he says, in saying... And here's the first sentence of the first sermon Jesus ever preached. The time is fulfilled, 
and the kingdom of God is at hand. So repent and believe the gospel. All right, first thing he ever talked about was the kingdom of God. He talks about the kingdom of God all through the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 6, he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. I could keep going a really long time, 162 times as a matter of fact, over and over and over again, Jesus spoke about the kingdom of God. Now, here's the problem that you and I have as Americans. We don't like kings, amen? We like Jesus, but we don't like kings. Have y'all ever thought about the fact that as United States citizens, the reason that we exist as a country is because we got tired of a king telling us what to do? That's why we're here for crying out loud. We don't like kings. And on top of that, we don't trust kings. Kings are dictators. Kings have way too much power. There's a dictator right now in a place called Russia that took taken over his neighbor because he felt like it. And so we don't like kings and we don't trust kings. And on top of that, you and I don't live in a kingdom. We live in a republic that's based on the idea of democracy which is built on the idea that each individual person has rights and can do whatever he wants to do within the limit of the law. And so regarding this idea of, of the kingdom and kings, it's a concept we don't really understand, but it is a concept as believers we've got to get our minds around. And we've got to understand it because one of the first things that came out of his mouth was the kingdom of God is at hand. And then he said something even more important. He said, the kingdom of God is at hand. And oh, by the way, everybody, I'm the king. I'm the king. Kingdom is coming, and I'm the king. And when he said that, that was so radical, the Pharisees lost their minds. They lost their minds. The religious leaders, the Jews, when Jesus said, the kingdom of God is at hand, it's here. And oh, by the way, I'm the king. They flipped out. Like, what do you mean you're the king? Aren't you a carpenter? What do you mean the, the kingdom of God is right here in our midst? Aren't you from Nazareth? It's a backwoods town in the middle of nowhere. Aren't you, aren't you Joseph's kid? What are you, what are you talking about? He goes, yep, I'm the king. They arrested him. Religious leaders arrested him. They eventually brought him to Pilate, who was a representative of an emperor who was, uh, had his own kingdom called the Roman Empire. In their interaction, Jesus and Pilate is fascinating to me. I've always found their interaction fascinating. Because here's Pilate, here's this absolutely pagan Roman um, governor guy. And he meets Jesus, who claims to be the king Watch the interaction. It's always been fascinating to me. Mark 15, 1. As soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. This is after they arrested Jesus. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him and said, it is as you say. One of the only things Jesus ever said to Pilate. Pilate was talking to him. Jesus really didn't say much at all. He just kind of kept his mouth shut. But when Pilate looks at him and says, hey, I need to straight up ask you a question. Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus looks at him and says, I am. 
straight up tells him, I'm the king. I want you to watch what happened a few chapters later because I think it made an impact on Pilate. John 19, 19. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It said, it read, Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. And maybe the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and it was written in Aramaic and Latin and Greek. Now watch this. The chief priests saw the inscription that Pilate wrote and they got mad at him. They corrected him. Watch what happens in verse 21. It says, so the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but rather write this. This man said, I'm the king of the Jews. Chief priest said, don't write he's the king of the Jews because we don't think he is. You just need to write, dude said he was the king of the Jews. And watch what Pilate responded. Verse 22, Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. Look, don't email me. I'm gonna say something here. This is Matt Carter's opinion, okay? So don't email me. I don't need all your articles on this. It would not shock me to see Pilate in heaven. It wouldn't shock me. And I mean, dude, like he, you know, look, look, I get it, I get it, I get it. I know the theological argument. All I know, all I know is that when this man met Jesus, I don't know if he ever repented of his sin. I don't know if he trusted in Christ as his Lord and Savior, and you gotta do that if you're going to heaven. All I know is that when this man encountered Jesus Christ, he's like, that guy's the king. He's the king. So religious leaders, you can stuff it because he's the king, right? All throughout Jesus' earthly ministry, from his first sentence and to some of the last things he says, last four, five, six, seven sentences before he walks and dies on a cross, Jesus spoke about the kingdom of God and that he was the king. Now, to understand what a kingdom is, what's a kingdom? What's a kingdom? Here's a kingdom. I got a definition for you. Kingdom is a territory over which a king rules and reigns. Okay, pretty simple. Kingdom is a territory in which king rules and reigns. Now, last week, I had you guys answer the question. I said, if I were to ask you the question, why did Jesus come to this planet? What would be the primary purpose that Jesus came to this planet? How would you answer that? And I told you what I believe is the more complete answer, and I think we have it on the screen here. This is the correct answer of why Jesus came to this planet, Donna Cross. I wrote this on the screen last week. Jesus came to this planet to glorify and exalt the name of God by dying on a cross, paying the penalty of our sin and reconciling us back to the Father. Okay, now while that is a true statement, every word of it is true, it's still incomplete. Here would be a more complete answer as to why Jesus came to this earth and died on a cross. Here it is. Jesus came to this planet to glorify and exalt the name of God, ushering in the kingdom of God, establishing his rule and reign by dying on a cross, paying the penalty of our sin and reconciling us back to God. That's a more complete answer. One, listen, don't miss this. One of the things that Jesus did when he came to this planet was to usher in the kingdom of God back to earth reestablishing God's rule and reign on the earth. Now, you may be thinking, wait a minute, Matt, he's God. Doesn't he always rule and reign? Well, he does. He always rules and reigns. 
with one caveat. And I'm going to go into a lot more depth on this next week. But one of the names that God gave to Satan was ruler of this world. Have you ever heard that? Jesus called Satan the ruler of this world. Now, why, why is Satan called the ruler of this world? If God rules and reigns, then why is Satan called the ruler of the world? Well, after Adam and Eve sinned, um, then darkness, this kind of period of spiritual darkness came into the world. We were separated from God. In a way, we were separated from the kingdom of God. And, and, and so what happened is when you... You know, when, when the Bible talks about this, this darkness, uh, this period of spiritual darkness, it describes it as the domain of darkness or the kingdom of darkness, and Satan is the ruler over this kingdom or domain of darkness. And so um, while God is still ultimately in control, if you have any question about it, read the book of Job, uh, God is still ultimately in control. In his sovereignty, God gave Satan temporary rule and reign over this kingdom of darkness. That's why he's called the ruler of this world. Now, I want you to watch what Jesus says right after he says, for this purpose, I came to this hour, Father, glorify your name. He's talking about the cross. John 12, 27, this is Jesus speaking. He says, now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. That's why we pray, want your name to be held. Then a voice came from heaven and said, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. And the crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered, the voice has come for your sake, not for mine. But look at verse 31. Jesus is still talking here. Jesus says, now is the judgment of this world, and now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And so not only did Jesus come to this planet to die on a cross for our sins, he did that. Not only did he come to glorify the name of God, but he also came to this planet to destroy Satan's rule and reign over the kingdom of darkness and usher in the kingdom of God, reestablishing God's rule and reign, right? That's what he did. That's why Paul in Colossians 1.13, check this out. Now you're gonna know what it means, Colossians 1.13. He, that's Jesus, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So that's what it's meant by the kingdom of God, right? Now, let's go back to the Lord's Prayer real quick. Let's look at the text one more time. Matthew 6, 9. Jesus said, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then Jesus tells us to pray there, your kingdom come. All right, here's the question. Everybody look at me, check this out. If through Jesus' death on the cross, Jesus destroyed Satan's rule and reign, ushering in the kingdom of God, then why does God tell us to pray, Lord, I want your kingdom to come? Why? I'll tell you after I get a drink of water. Hold on. It's preaching there. I had to get a drink. Why? If the, if the kingdom showed up with Jesus... At the cross, he destroyed, destroyed Satan's rule and reign. Why are we supposed to pray, after we pray the name of God be hallowed, that, God, we want your kingdom to show up, right? Um, to understand what you're praying when you pray, God, I want your kingdom to come, what you're, to understand that you gotta look at the word come. You gotta look at the word C-O-M-E, right? What, understand what it means. 
It's a verb, right, which is an action. It's a verb, um, just so you know, I'm not like trying to sound smart, I had to look this up, all right, but it's a verb that's in the aorist active imperative. It's in the aorist active imperative. Now here's the thing, whenever a verb, and don't miss this, this is crucial, whenever a verb is in the aorist active imperative, that means that it's an action that is happening instantaneously, right here, right now, and continuously. That's the verb, aorist active imperative. It means there's an action that's happening instantaneously and continuously right here, right now. Listen, so when you're praying, God, I want your kingdom to show up. I want your kingdom to come. What you are literally praying is God, I am asking that your kingdom would show up right here, right now, instantaneously in my life and through my life. That's what you're praying. And that is a powerful, powerful, powerful prayer that we don't pray nearly enough, is it? God, I want your kingdom to show up right here, right now in me and through me. When you pray that, you're asking three things. Going to walk through three, these three things, we're going to be done. When you're praying that prayer, God, I want your kingdom to show up right here, right now, in my life and through my life. You're praying for three things. Here they are. Number one, you're praying to submit to the king's rule and reign. If you're taking notes, you're praying to submit to the king's rule and reign. Number two, you're praying to experience the king's power. God, I want to experience the king's power. Number three, you're praying, God, I want to spread the king's influence. Okay? Let's walk through these three things. We'll be done today. Look at the first one. When you pray for God's kingdom to come, you're praying that you would submit to the king's rule and reign in your life. Now, I'm not going to go into depth on this one because next week, that's what it's all about. When you pray, God, I want your will to be done, you're saying, God, I don't want what I want. I want what you want. That ain't easy to pray. So when you're praying, God, I want your kingdom to come, that's the first thing you're asking God is, God, you're the king, I'm not. This is your kingdom, and I'm just hanging out in your kingdom. And so, God, I'm asking you that today, would you rule and would you reign in me? That's what you're praying. That's the first thing. Now, here's the second thing that you're praying. When you pray, your kingdom come. Not only are you praying to submit to the king's rule and reign, but here's the second thing you're praying. You're praying to experience the king's power. The word experience is key. Not only praying, God, I want you to rule and reign in my life, but you're asking him, God, I want to experience right here, right now, the power of the kingdom of God. All right, theological question for you guys. Don't shout it out. See how smart you are. What was the last thing that the disciples said to Jesus before he ascended into heaven. He's resurrected, he's, uh, he's alive, he's shown up to disciples, he's hung out with them, we're in Acts now, and Jesus is about to whoop, go to heaven. And the disciples say something like 30 seconds before he leaves, and it's the dumbest thing they ever said. You remember what they said? I'm gonna show it to you. It's the last thing they say before Jesus leaves. Acts 1-6. Jesus is, they're all hanging out. Whoop, Jesus is about to leave. Watch this. 
So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Have you ever, when you were young, said something really dumb? Like dumb, and at the time you just thought you were on it, you were so confident about it, and then you grow and get older about 30 years, and you wake up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I said that. That's what I promise you happened to the disciples. Jesus is about to leave for heaven. They're not seeing him again till the second coming. And those suckers look at him and say, hey, Jesus, is now the time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus was so nice to him. He should have he should have just <laughs> bye and left, right? <laughs> because after all the talk of the kingdom of God, after all the talk of, you know, ushering in the power of a new kingdom that he was a king and God was reestablishing his his rule and reign on earth and it was all about God and his glory and Jesus being the king and the disciples are like, hey, are you gonna bring the kingdom and give the power back to Israel? I mean, I think like over 100 times in the gospels, Jesus talked about how it's all about the kingdom of God. John the Baptist even got it. John the Baptist, when Jesus started walking up, John the Baptist stopped everybody, hey everybody, the kingdom of God is at hand. Like they all got it except the disciples around Jesus the most who right before he left were like, hey, are you gonna restore the kingdom to Israel? What were they, what was that coming from? They wanted earthly power, bottom line. They wanted earthly power because um, Israel used to be a powerful kingdom and the, the Jewish people thought that the Messiah was gonna come and restore power and glory to Israel. And after all the times you just talked about the kingdom of God, and that's why it was there, they still, in the back of their minds, thought, oh, you're going to restore power to Israel. And listen, here's the thing. They believed he was the king. The dude got up from the grave for the crying out loud. They just were wondering, maybe, Jesus, since you're the king, can we be little kings? Since you're the, the, the big K king, can we you know, be the little K kings? And I know that Jesus knew that they were desiring power, because I want, to wa- I want you to watch what He says, and we read this verse all the time, but we don't read it in the context of those dudes asking for earthly power. They ask him for earthly power, and in Acts 1-8, watch Jesus' response. Let's, Let's put it up there. Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Right before that, Jesus is like, look, no, He didn't say it like that, but he was like, no, no, no. It's not about restoring the kingdom of Israel. It's not about earthly power. And he looks at him and goes, hey, guess what, though? You are going to receive power, but it's going to be a different kind of power. It's going to be a better kind of power. It's not going to be earthly power. It's going to be Holy Spirit power. And it's going to blow the kingdom of Israel power out of the water. Because the Holy Spirit, I'm leaving, and the Holy Spirit's going to come live in you. And you're going to have a power like you've never dreamed of in your life. And so, Sagemont, when you're in a time of prayer and you pray, God, I want your kingdom to come, what you're praying is, God, I want to experience right here, right now, the power of the kingdom of God that you've given me through the Holy Spirit of Almighty God. That's what you're praying for. 
Gosh, but we don't do it, do we? We talk about the kingdom power all the time. We believe, we're, we're good, you know, Baptist people, a lot of y'all are here in the 930. I'm a good Baptist guy, went to Baptist seminary. We talk about power all the time. We believe in power, but like when's the last time that you experienced the Holy Spirit showing up in power in your life? Well, I think a lot of us don't, and I think that might be the reason that a lot of us are stuck. Got a situation in your life where you're kind of stuck, and you're just like a wall that you're hitting up against and can't seem to get past it. Maybe it's in your marriage. Like things aren't going well, and you're not getting along, and so you've processed it as a couple over and over again. You've, you've read all the marriage books. You've maybe even gone to counseling, and things just aren't getting better. Hitting a wall. Maybe there's an area of sin in your life that keeps popping up and you can't seem to shake it. So you've got an accountability in your life and you've sworn you'll never do it again, but that, that thing still keeps popping up in your life. Maybe there's an issue at your work or your church or your school or some area in your life and you've processed it, you've talked about it with your friends, you've tried to change it, but no matter how hard you try, nothing changes it, you're stuck, it's not getting better and it's wearing you out. Have you ever thought about the fact that those situations aren't changing because you're trying to change them in your power? I have to remind myself of that all the time. That may be the reason that those things aren't changing in your life is because you're trying to change them in your power. And what Jesus is saying here is that you have access to an altogether different kind of power. You got access to an altogether better kind of power. You got, an, you got access to an altogether more powerful kind of power. And I wonder if the reason that you and I aren't experiencing the kingdom's power is because we're just not asking for it. That's what you're asking for. When you say, God, I'm asking that your kingdom show up right here, right now, you're saying, God, I want to experience the Holy Spirit's kingdom power right here, right now in my life. And so God, God, I want to, when you pray, I want your kingdom come. God, I want, you, I want to experience not my power, but your power in my marriage. God, I, 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 want, I want your kingdom to come. You're saying, God, I, I, I can't fix the sin problem in my power, so I need your power to come. Lord, this, this conflict I'm in, this situation, I've tried it in my power for a long time, and it ain't working, so God, would you please show up, and would you bring your power, your kingdom power, into that situation? Have you ever wondered why Jesus did miracles? Have you ever thought about why? Was he just showing off? That's a real question. Was Jesus just showing off? No, Jesus never showed off. Miracles always had a purpose. And he performed miracles because he was showing the world a picture of kingdom power. We should ask for it. We should ask for it. Last one. When we pray for his kingdom to come, we're praying to submit to the king's rule and reign, praying to experience the king's power, and the last one, we're asking to spread the king's influence. A lot of names the Bible gives you as a believer, as a Christian. The Bible calls you a child of God. He calls you a disciple of Christ. He calls you um, a holy one. He calls you a saint. He calls you all these different things. The Bible calls you all these different things. And one of the things the scripture calls you is an ambassador of the kingdom of God. Christian, did you know you're an ambassador? But you're not an ambassador to uh, 
the UK, you're not an ambassador to Ukraine, you're not an ambassador of the United States. You're an ambassador to the kingdom of God. What's an ambassador? Ambassador goes to a foreign country, it goes to a foreign kingdom, and it represents the interest of their home country or their home kingdom. And so right after Jesus says, hey, I'm giving you power. Y'all want some power? I'll give you power. And then he tells them what he's gonna give them power for. Acts 1.8, watch this. Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And here's what you're gonna do with the power, boys. You're gonna be my witnesses. You're gonna be my ambassador in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the end of the earth. He's saying, yes, I'm gonna restore the kingdom to Israel, but the, the kingdom's not gonna stop in Israel. It's gonna spread past that and it's gonna go into Judea. And then, the, and then the kingdom of God's gonna go beyond Judea. It's gonna go to Samaria. And then the kingdom of God's not stopping there either. It's going past Samaria. It's gonna go to the four corners of the earth. And guess what, boys? You're gonna be the one to spread it. So I'm giving you power giving you resurrection power. And it's not just used for you. It's used to spread the influence of the king everywhere you go. I'm telling you guys, we need to remember that. Do you think about yourself as an ambassador of the kingdom? Is that how you primarily think about yourself? I don't think we do. I don't think it's like this bad, horrible, sinful thing. I think we just get it backwards. I think we think about ourselves as citizens of the United States that are, that are Christians. I think we think about ourselves as businessmen that, that are Christians. I think we think about ourselves as moms and students uh, that are Christians. And Jesus says, that's not how you're supposed to think about yourself. Jesus said, you're supposed to think about yourself as a Christian that happens to be a citizen of the United States. You think about yourself as a, uh, as a Christian that happens to be an Aggie. You're supposed to think about yourself as a child of God, as an ambassador of the kingdom of God that happens to be a businessman. And if we will do that and we'll start praying, God, I want your kingdom to rule and reign in my life. And God, I, I want to experience your Holy Spirit's kingdom power right here, right now. And God, I want to get up this morning and I want to be an ambassador to the kingdom of God and spread your rule and reign around the world. I'm going to tell you, everything will begin to change. What if we all started doing that? We talk a lot about revival. I'm almost done here. Hang with me. We, all, we talk about a revival a lot here at Sagemont. If I were to say, we need revival, everybody go, Amen. Amen. I'm convinced to the core of my being that the number one thing that will bring revival to the city of Houston is not better churches and it's not better preaching and it's not better worship music but I'm convinced to the core of my being that what we need to do to see revival happen in our city is for normal everyday people sitting in the pews stop praying God we want revival and start praying God I want revival through me if you don't hear anything I say I want you to hear that right there revival's not going to come because we just sit in a pew and say God bring revival revival will start coming when you start praying God bring revival through my life today and that's what you're praying when you say Lord I want your kingdom to come Last thing, I'm done. There's one final thing you're praying for. I didn't put it on the list. 
one final thing you're praying for when you pray for his kingdom to come. It's, uh, it's actually a prayer of longing that a lot of us in the room can relate to. When you pray, God, I'm asking that your kingdom come, you're praying for the, for the day that Jesus returns to this planet. All right, it's a prayer of longing for him to come back and bring his rule and reign forever and make all this stuff right. But here's the thing. When you pray for that, when you pray for that, like I want you to remember when you're praying, Lord, I, I want your kingdom to come. First and foremost, you need to remember when he comes back, he's not coming back as a baby in a manger. He's not coming back as a, as a dude riding on a donkey. When he comes back, he's coming back to take over. Let me read this to you. Here's how he's come back. Here's what you're praying for. Check this out. Revelation 19, 11. When you pray that your kingdom come, here's what you're praying. You're praying for this moment. John said, then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. And the one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. And his eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems, many diamonds. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. And his, he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God and the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure like Chuck Snyder wore today in the baptistry. No, I didn't say that. White and pure were following him on white robes and from his mouth comes a sharp sword which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron and he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of almighty God and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name that was written king of kings and lord of lords. And so when you say, God, I want you to come, part of the prayer is you're saying, God, I'm so tired of this nonsense. Would you come back and would you take over and would you make all this right? Would you tread the winepress of the fury, the wrath of God on those who refuse to submit to you as king? But it also has this idea, it's... It's a longing for him to come and fix all that's broken, and it's the same time it's a longing for you to be with him in the kingdom forever. I remember, I remember my pastor when I was growing up, when I was a little kid, I was 19 years old. My pastor's name at First Baptist Athens was James Bond. That was actually his name. And he was the guy, he's just a sweet, godly guy. He was in his late 60s, um, early 70s when he retired and there at the end when, he'd st- when, he, when he passed over 70 and stuff and he'd be preaching he'd get to talking about heaven and he'd just start crying he'd just start crying talking about heaven and I remember as like a 10 year old 11 year old boy going why is he crying talking about heaven it's like cause I I want to go to heaven but I just don't want to go right now I got stuff I want to do as an 11-year-old boy, I was like, I want to kiss a girl. I want to go on my honeymoon. I want to learn to drive a car. Like, I want to have kids. So I want to go to heaven, but I don't want to go right now. But the thing that I've discovered after doing all those things that I wanted so and badly, but those things are great. But what I've experienced is this. The older I get and the longer I live in this world, the more that I long for the next one. The more that I long for the next one. The more days I live on this planet, the more I long for the day that John spoke about in Revelation 21.3. When he saw a vision of the new heaven and the new earth, the kingdom forever. When he said, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. 
and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And here's where it gets good. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And you know what John said after Jesus said that? There's coming a day. I'm going to make all things new. John looked back at the Lord and he said, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Come quickly. That's what you're praying.